Good job. Well, I'm, would you take your Bible, please, and turn to uh, 1 John. Now, when I say 1 John, that's it's way at the back of the book, not the Gospel of John. We'll come back to that in a minute. But 1 John chapter 2 is where we're going to be reading from in just a moment. So if here in the, in the West, there's now Bibles in the Purex. There are Bibles available being passed out in the East Auditorium right now, or you can look for it on your smartphone. If you're online with us, there's a tab uh, on the screen where you can say, okay, uh, 1 John chapter 2, all right? So you may have realized that uh, throughout the past few weeks, Pastor Brian has been acting, if you will, as a um, television man, um, weatherman wannabe. Have you noticed that? Um, he created a graphic or asked our communications team to create a graphic that describes what it means to walk with God. And he says, basically, uh, for the last few weeks we've been examining how is it when we realize that God loves us and then it's our, resp- our responsibility then in return to love God, and then we move all around through, through the circle. And um, with Brian out of town this weekend doing a wedding, I thought, well, let's take the mickey out of him while he's gone. Let's make fun of him while he's gone, because nothing says more I love you more than making fun of him, right? So let's do that. So I want you, so with this idea of him wanting to be a television weather, weather guy with this graphic, take a look at this video and see what he's been up to. Um, I'm going to do my best weatherman here on, on my right here. Peter Aldis, Joe Hansel here, and thanks so much for, I dropped my clicker. Ah! Oh, no! No! cold front has moved through and the rain has pushed down. (laughs) Fargo sitting at 16 degrees right now. Hey, Kate. How are you doing? Look at (laughs) That's fun. We're going to talk about this, too. Hey, maybe I can snap my fingers and make you disappear. Nope. Not going (laughs) to. So here's a look at the wind advisory that's in place. Hi, Bennett. It's until 7 o'clock this evening here. You want to point out the wind advisory to the folks? (laughs) There you go. Right there. Great job. We thought it'd be just, so when he gets back next week, when you see him, say, I hear you're applying for a job at WND, and I say, could I be your, one of your reference guys? No, just, anyways. So, again, enough of that. Here's Brian's graphic again, and uh, it shows the circle of love that's portrayed in First, Second, and Third John. And Brian has always, already given us a review of God's love at the top of the circle, and then um, move this around to where our response is that we are to love God. And if that's where he left off, can you imagine where we're going today? Got it figured out? Love one another. Some of you are really, really sharp today, and I'm glad for that. So, yeah, wow, a fully engaged congregation. And, yes, we're discussing how we should love one another today. And uh, if you're a guest with us, let me say this, that we've been examining some scriptures that are written in the in the later days of the early church. Now, what that means is Jesus comes and the church is established, and the early church, um, so it's written by one of Jesus' disciples, but very late in his life, probably 40 years or more after Jesus has done his earthly ministry. And it's way in the back of the Bible. It's actually a series, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John are actually a series of letters written by one of Jesus' disciples in his late life, to um, some, some, some pe- uh, people that he loved, a group of congregations, and um, it's different than the Gospel of John. Now, the Gospel of John is at the beginning of the New Testament, and when we say gospel, that means good news, and so John, midlife, 
writes a good news story of Jesus Christ. In other words, he writes a biography of Jesus. That's the gospel. But then late in his life, he writes these three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he's writing to a group of Christian people who apparently were having trouble uh, figuring out how to love God, to love each other, and to love others. And when it comes to this idea of loving, other pe- loving each other, uh, John has one big idea that appears in all three letters, basically, that the defining characteristic of Jesus' followers, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you, the defining characteristic should be this, that we love one another. And some of you go, well, duh, of course. You t- well, that's the church. We should be loving one another. What else should we be? Of course it's love. But before you go to the duh, let me back you up a little bit and see if you can understand a little bit of what's going on in these three letters. Because for some reason, apparently, apparently the recipients of um, John's letters need a reminder. And as we read this reminder today from 1 John chapter 2, I would remind you that this is written to people who are followers of Jesus Christ. He's going to use language, brothers and sisters, and he's not talking about his siblings in terms of blood relatives. He's referring, if you will, to the church as the family of God. And uh, now you obviously need to love your blood siblings and so forth, but he's, he's moving away from blood relationships and how instead how we are to relate together as the body of Christ, uh, both globally and in individual congregations. So 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 7, if you will, please. Okay? Verse 7. He says, Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one. So now this is something you've heard before. As a matter of fact, it goes back to the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. But he says, So I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one. You've heard it since the beginning. The old command is the message that you have heard. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister. Remember, this is in the church. If you hate people in the church... That person, the hater, is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in darkness and walks around in darkness. And in fact, they don't even know where they're going because the darkness has absolutely blinded them. And the basic thought, something you've probably known for a long time, is this, that You need to love one another. And if you fail in this loving business in the church, if you fail in this business of how we treat one another with great love, if you fail in that, then John's saying, I'm really beginning to wonder if the light of God is within you. Of course, that asks the question then. Is this us? Is this First Christian Church? Is this you? So... We'll move next week around the circle of this love that's found in these letters to loving others. But for today, it's how do we love each other. And at times, I would contend that it's almost easier to love the others, the people we don't know. We say, we're going to love our partners and, and our, the churches that we support in Kenya. We're going to love the churches we support and the people down in Cuba. We're going to love all the other, and we're going to love all the non-followers of Jesus Christ. And it's almost easier at times to love them because we don't know all of their foibles. But you do life with a bunch of Christians, what happens? You begin to quickly learn where the unloving and unlovely, unlovely parts are, you know. And some of you have watched me for many years, and you go, 
I really don't like that about Wayne Kent. As a matter of fact, it's really unlovely, that aspect of Wayne's personality. Or or that business, the way in which he manages this or that, or even the way in which sometimes he's quirky, it just gets under my skin. (laughs) I get it, because I live with you too. (laughs) But despite knowing each other very well, despite that, The Bible expects us to love each other, to care for each other, to provide love and support and a measure of looking out for each other. And here's what I mean. There's this, a number of years ago, I was watching television and saw something occur live that has been in the back of my brain that illustrates this for us today. You're going to see a video about a British triathlete named Johnny Brownlee. Johnny and his brother, Alistair, compete at the world stage level in triathlons. So, uh, so, so they're, they're going to bike, I mean, they swim two miles, they bike like 100 miles, and then they run a marathon of 26 miles. It's, it's forever and a day. I mean, they're, they're, they're really athletes. They compete at the stage level. And um, one of them is actually a medalist from the 2012 Olympics in London. They represent Great Britain. Well, both brothers in 2016 were competing in Mexico. And as the race was closing, Johnny was in the lead. There was a fellow from the Republic of South Africa in second, and then Alistair was running third. And they're at the very end of the race. As a matter of fact, they're within less than a kilometer of the finish line, less than half a mile from where Johnny is going to win the race, and suddenly heat exhaustion takes over. Look at what happens. And right now, he seems to have lost control of his legs, and this is worrying. Oh, and he's starting to slow, and there is a little way to go, there's half a K to go, and Johnny is running out of time, and he's losing... He's losing his sense of direction. This is worrying. Oh, goodness me. This is a horrible sight. Jonathan Brownlee has lost it now, and has staggered to a stop at the side of the course and Alistair's stopped to help him along and Alistair is going to try and carry his brother home. Dramatic scenes in Cozumel as the Olympic champion carries his younger brother towards the podium. Matt, is this allowed? Is he allowed to help his brother? You know, is that part of the rules? I'm not too sure. We've never seen anything like this before. The brothers are coming home arm in arm to finish in second and third, but Johnny can hardly stand. And Alistair is having to drag him across the line and pushing him home, pushing him home for second. Johnny finishes in second. Goodness me. Johnny finishes in second. Alistair finishes in third. Did you see that Alistair actually pushed his brother across the finish line? Isn't it a powerful demonstration of brotherly love? And it's video footage, if you ask me, of how our lives should work together. So that it's sometimes it's not me draping my, my arm around your shoulder saying, I need some help, but rather it's you coming and grabbing my arm and putting it around your shoulder and saying, you need some help. Remember John says this, that if you love, if you love your brother and sister, then that's a mark of God's light within you. No love if God's light is, if, if, if there's no love within you, then that means God's light is absent. And in fact, he says, you're meandering around in the darkness. You don't know where you're going. You're like, you're like Johnny Brownlee. You don't even know where the finish line is. It's so dark. 
So the question then for today moves along these lines. Are we a loving congregation that models John's expectations of Christian believers? Are you a Christ follower, more pointedly? Are you a Christ follower who um, actively loves fellow Christians? And if so, how are you demonstrating that? I wonder about it at times. Because at times, I'd say it appears that the inside church culture, the inside congregational culture, too often these days, reflects the outside, non-congregational culture. Sometimes within the church, big C, globally, we get mean and ugly. It's as if the mean and ugly people of the world are leading us instead of the other way around, where we as the followers of Jesus Christ should be leading them and leading each other, choosing a life of gentleness and love. And I need to say that, if I can, I suppose, with, with a sigh. See, it's been my pleasure, my privilege, to serve the large church, capital C, the global church. I've served the, the large church since 1978 in full-time ministry. I've served this congregation since 1994. And throughout those, wonder, those years, I've had some wonderful moments of really cool things. I mean, some really great times of incredible alignment with people of Christian faith, incredible alignment with brothers and sisters. But I would have to say there have been some seasons, probably three or four of them, throughout those years since 1978, when I would say that ministry has been characterized as difficult, sometimes beyond words. And in those moments, perhaps the only response is a long a long sigh of resigned sadness. Is that my present status as your pastor? Am I in a present sighing status? Not exactly. I'd have to say not exactly because as I think about where we are as a congregation, as an individual congregation, I'd say that throughout the past year since COVID-19 showed up in March, uh, COVID-19 has brought out the best of us at many times. And I'm thrilled and proud of the way in which this congregation has responded to the untold challenges that we faced. And the way in which, once again, we've had to embrace change. Specifically, this is how, this is how well you've done, all right? I'm reminded of how you responded to the very real needs the staff faced as in March of last year, we were faced with and presented with very quickly with about three days' notice we have to find a way to minister to two groups of our congregation, those in the West Auditorium, and initially it was just a few dozen people, versus thousands online. And um, we, we realized that our primary audience, if you will, for a long time, a long time, was going to be not everybody in the West Auditorium, but people who are like those of you in the East Auditorium today or those who are online people watching on screens. And so in order to facilitate that to a greater degree than we'd ever done in the past, we moved the camera platforms to the front of the West Auditorium. And as the, as the, as the congregation numbers in the West Auditorium grew over the past year, what we effectively did was we obstructed the views of a few hundred people in the room for the sake of the many hundreds of people who are watching via screens, either at their home or in the East Auditorium. And I, in all honesty, I thought it would be just a few weeks 
thought COVID would be a few weeks, and I thought we'd have the cameras here for a few weeks, and we spent a bunch of money. We said we ordered a bunch of equipment so we could say, let's create a better online experience or a better experience for those watching on screens, and um, we'll move the cameras to the back, and we'll be, all be well. We spent $60,000 to do that. But wouldn't you know it, all that equipment was on back order for months and months. I was ready for Jesus to come back by the time that stuff arrived, <laughs> I promise you. I'm ready for him to come today, but that's a different matter altogether. Here, here's, here's what I heard about those cameras obstructing people's views. I heard no complaints. Seriously. I, I did get a lot of questions, but no complaints. Care for each other ruled today over any one person's convenience. After all, everybody in the West Auditorium said, we can still watch the screens on the side and we can sit different places. And then those in this room, those of you online or in the West, East Auditorium may not realize this, but there's some fog in the air here in the West Auditorium. And that's also to enhance what, how the video looks like on screens because it gives a more 3D look. And again, no complaints, but what's with the fog? Questions, okay? So I, 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 in, the, in that case, there's a, a straight-up case of how this church has embraced change in the last year, and we've done it for years, all for the sake of how our love for our brothers and sisters rules the day over our own personal preferences, if you will. But, sigh, while COVID-19 has brought out the best of us at times, at sometimes it seems to have also at times brought out the worst in us um, across the global church, particularly on social media platforms. And I need to tell you, I watch you. I creep. I'm not a creep, but I am a creeper. I creep about on social media platforms watching you and your comments as well as the posts of Christians from all across the country and all across the world. And at times I'm saddened when political or religious sounding demands have strained relationships within the body of Christ. And I go, come on, this is not the way the body of Christ treats one another. The Bible speaks about how we speak to one another. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. In other words, just by being quiet, things can settle down. But as charcoal to embers and as wood to fire gets things going, so a quarrelsome person kindles strife. That was written, by the way, more than 900 years before Jesus showed up. That's not particularly old. I mean, you can't, that, that's old, old, 2,900 years old. A little newer, time of Jesus, Jesus' half-brother James puts it, puts it this way, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it can make great boasts. Think about this. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by just a small spark. You can have this tremendous, fire, this tremendous forest destroyed. So in that light, the tongue is also a fire. A world of evil among parts of the body, it corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. And you go, well, I'm not... You know, we're, we're not talking, well, would I, could I suggest that a keyboard, computer keyboard, couldn't they be likened to 21st century tongues if they're in the hands of quarrelsome Christians? If our comments are bringing struggles between, between Christians? 
I'm distressed when I see or when I experience broken relationships. I'm all up for chatter. I'm all up for discussions. But when it breaks relationships, we've gone too far, friends. It stresses me, honestly, when Christians break relationships over things they've said online. I think it's a personal response on my part. And to that end, I'd like to suggest that we do something here today with this um, chair here. I, I thought that um, maybe we could have a little chat along the lines of a fellow who uh, used to be on television, would wear a red sweater. Do you know how hard it is to find a red sweater indicator in the middle of spring? You can't find one. I went to all the thrift stores. No, they must be a, must be a popular demand these days, red, red cardigans. See, I want to have a chat with you about something that requires a lot of trust. Because, (laughs) because um, what I'm about to tell you or have a chat with you about, um, I'd suggest that uh, somebody who was a pastor of only three months couldn't talk like this. But if, a, but if a fellow had been a pastor for a couple decades and had done life, with people for a while, and if he was willing to call somebody neighbor, brother and sister, can we talk together? By the way, do you like my socks? Summer's coming. The sailboat's going to be in the water soon. So, anyways. So, a pastoral word. That relationships form the backbone of our lives, don't they? I recall the importance of relationships in my life. Um, Perhaps for a lot of reasons. I'm very aware of relationships. Um, Perhaps it's because... Some of you know that at 11 years old, we left Australia as our family after living there for generations. Our family history in Australia goes back to the 1840s. We got on a ship, sailed across the Pacific for 20 days, and arrived on the West Coast. And when we left Australia in the 60s, I mean, it was goodbye to everybody, goodbye to the entire family, and we didn't know when we'd see them again. We arrived here in North America, Do you know how many people we knew? Zero. Absolutely no one. I remember standing on the dock after arriving and looking around. Who are all these people? And will we ever see my cousins, my aunts and uncles, all four grandparents were still alive? And relationships, I think because of that, have always meant the world to me. And over the years, I've had some relationships with Christian brothers and sisters go bad, sometimes very badly. And along the way, uh, people, well-intentioned, loving people have come to me and um, 
They've made some comments about to me. Uh, you know, like, well, this is the way life is, and I get it. And particularly when you're the leader of the church, and sometimes you or the church are going to make decisions that a person or a group of people don't particularly appreciate, and there's going to be words, and they're going to be upset, and they're going to walk away, and, I, and, and, and you need to just get over it. And, and um, Wayne, just maybe you should have some thicker skin, and I get that. I get that. But I will say this, that in my head, every time that that sort of conversation comes up, I want to go, thicker skin? Is that the mark of a compassionate pastor? Is that what you want in your pastoral team, thick skin? Now, yeah, sometimes we perhaps need to have some, some toughness and resilience when we hear people's complaints about our Christian lifestyle or our choices or any number of matters, absolutely. But thick skin about broken relationships and lack of love between brothers and sisters in Christ? I can't get there. Friends, beloved, neighbors, brothers and sisters, evaluate your relationships. Look in the rearview mirror of your relationships. And if there is a series of broken bodies back there, ah, you may have won every battle, but did you lose the war for the sake of one individual battle? How's the war against light and darkness within you going? love and hate. We cannot be at war with each other. This church has been marked as a loving congregation for decades, for generations. I want to keep that. I want to keep that as the mark of this congregation because I'll tell you, there's a lot of struggle out there. I've had, I have calls, I have conversations just in the last week with pastors where the churches are at war with one another. And I want to bring this up and, and, if you will, deal with it before we get to a struggle. I'm not suggesting, a, I don't have, it's not a reading tea leaves and saying there's a struggle coming, but I'm quite aware of this. There's every reason with all that's going on out there that this could impact, it could impact us. And I want to say, let's, let's, let's plan now to not act that way. After all, as my friend and many of your friends, Jim Gilbert, posted as I was creeping this week, Christians have one enemy. And there is no D or R after his name. Within, within the context of worship here at First Christian Church in this matter, um, we're about to have communion together. If you're new to us, that's a language that we use. Others might call it the Lord's Table, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, so forth and so on, where we remember Jesus' death on our behalf. We remember that he died so that we'd be known in his, as his followers, that we would be the recipients of eternal life, that we would demonstrate love for others. And in this moment in the worship service, every weekend, what do we do? We offer our lives as his followers, asking Jesus to use us. It's our life gift to him in response to his life gift to us. And what, we, what do we do? Remember that Jesus gathered with his disciples, and we call it the Last Supper, just hours before he died. And we know there were at least 12 people in the room, probably more, but we know the names of 12. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Nathaniel, James the Younger, Thaddeus, Matthew, 
Philip, Simon, and Thomas. I'm missing one. Who am I missing? Judas. Judas was at Jesus' table. Judas ate the same food as Jesus. He ate it just hours before betraying our Savior. And as Anne Voskamp says, if Jesus can dip from the same bowl as Judas, we can share the same table, the same space with anyone with some grace. See, we're about to give our lives, right? We're about to give our lives once again to Jesus based on this moment of the Last Supper. And we're at, if you will, we're at the altar of God where we give our lives. And Jesus once talked about what do we do when we're giving something at the altar. Matthew, early in Jesus' ministry, says that this is what Jesus said. If you're offering your gift at the altar, and while the altar, while while you're about to offer your gift, you remember that your brother or sister, hello, brothers and sisters, that's us. If you remember that your brother or sister has something against you where there's an offense, you've offended them, they've offended you, or there's a struggle, what are you supposed to do? Leave your gift at the altar. Do this first. First, go and be reconciled. Then come and offer your gift. And you go, whoa, wait, what? I'm not allowed to take communion until I get everything fixed? Get reconciled before I offer the gift of my life? Surely that doesn't mean that I can't participate in communion, does it? Well, I don't know. That's honestly, I don't know. I do know this. We can't just walk into communion without some serious attention to, are there any broken bodies in the past that need some attention? At the very least then, before we have communion, or before you have communion, before you place your, off, your life as an offering, choose some intent to get that messy relationship on better footing as soon as possible. So I have an idea and a project for you accordingly. And in the East and West Auditorium, as you came into church today, you received a 3 by 5 card. If you're online with us, would you please grab a, a piece of paper and a pen? And uh, we've got some people bringing some cards into the, building right, into the rooms right now. And uh, this is the moment you're going to use it. That um, I'd suggest that you, you, you if you will, as you're, right as you're about to offer your life as a gift, use your card or paper for this specific purpose. Maybe, maybe you're going to write on this card a very brief note to someone that simply says, Sorry. Maybe it's a note saying, hey, um, can we have a conversation together to say sorry? This is to fellow Christians. Maybe it's you penning a prayer, asking God to give you courage or wisdom to know how to proceed to avoid another broken body in your wake. God, I have this habit. And I look in the rearview mirror, and I win a lot of battles, but man, I'm breaking people in the process. Maybe it's a note to yourself. Self. Here's my strategic plan to bring reconciliation to this specific relationship and restore the love between me and a fellow Christian. Maybe you want to take your Bible and turn to this passage of Scripture. And I'll, I'll give it to you in just a moment. But here, in 3 John, verse 2, it says, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health, that it may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. If, if that's what you need, let me give you that, that 
that reference again. It's 3 John, 3 John, verse 2. And you write that in the corner, and then you can get in your Bible and just copy it out. And then you send that to someone. You use your card as you see fit, as directed by a conversation between you and the Holy Spirit. And uh, our time during communion, as a result, is going to be relatively quiet. There'll be a little bit of music. And um, I'm, I'm aware you can't fix everything in a 30-second or a three-minute card. Writing in a, I, I get that. Life is tricky and difficult, and we have broken relationships, and we have divorces, and we have all kinds of ick, ick, ick stuff that does make you go, <sighs> and sometimes, there are many times, there are no easy answers. But there is a place where we can come to our, in our own lives where we can let it go and say, God, I'm leaving this with you. Here's why. Paul the Apostle must have been aware that this problem of broken relationships is in all our lives. And when writing to a congregation, he said this, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Do, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if you can't get to all of that, if it's possible... As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. In some settings, that's as far as I've been able to get. Honestly, I'm going to do all I can to live in peace. But I'm not going to let this go to the point where it's bitter. I'm going to do all I can to live in peace about that situation. Or, in the scripture that Brian used to start the whole sermon series, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, Love is patient. Love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it doesn't dishonor others, it's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Oh, that could help him, Facebook. And it keeps no record of wrongs. I'm not suggesting that the plans on your card are easy. No, they're going to be difficult in some, casing, in some cases. But while they might not be realized in a quick fashion, but as you offer your life in communion, as far as it's possible with you, be at peace with your fellow brothers and sisters in love. You don't have to win. This isn't about winning. This is about loving. So, I'm going to pray, and then you're going to write. You're going to think, you're going to pray, and at your convenience, eat and drink, and remember Jesus' death on our behalf. Let's pray together. God, This is really tough stuff, Lord. I mean, it's really hard. This is the nitty-gritty of life. I'm so glad, Lord, that Scripture reminds us that we are called to be different than the world. And who are we kidding? It's really hard at times. Lord, I've got broken relationships in my rearview mirror and uh, they bring great pain to me. That's not just my story, Lord. That's the story of everyone gathered here. We're going to offer our lives in remembrance of Jesus giving his life for us. And in the process, God, Help us come up with some intentional plans 
some focal points of how we can restore some love and some, some better days. Lord, we're not trying to be best friends with everybody, but as far as is possible with us, we want to be at peace with everyone, particularly, Lord, those who we call brothers and sisters in Christ. And we pray this in his name.